this week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Miss Happiness by Walt Mink. If you're going to do a power pop record, you got to have the vocal there. you got to have the hook. Yeah, there's one song in there that's very jazzy, and he, I think, does a scat, and it, it hurts me. It hurts yeah. my soul deeply. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are back with another listener suggestion. We haven't been getting to as many as we'd hoped to this year. We're going to hopefully rectify that, but this is another one brought to us by a listener. Mr. Dane Olson suggested that we check out some Walt Mink. First of all, how you doing this evening, Jay? Waka, waka, waka. Excellent. Good. Um, you know, what's interesting about this Walt Mink, Walt Mink record is that it came out on Caroline in 1992. Do you know another um, album that came out on Caroline in 1992? It was a debut album. Not This one wasn't a debut, but... Uh, pumpkins? Yeah, Smashing Pumpkins' Gish. So, interesting trajectories of huh. these two bands. For sure. Were you familiar with Walt Mink? No, this came out in 1992? Yep. Wow, okay. Yeah. No, I was not familiar with him. I'd heard the name, but I had never heard the music. They were just one of those album covers that I'd seen or names that I'd seen around, but never had any idea what they sounded like. The name sounds familiar. Yeah. So why don't we dive right in to the history of the band? History of the band. Walt Mink formed in St. Paul, Minnesota at, I'm going to mess this up, Malacaster College? Sure, I'm mispronouncing that. It was formed in 1989 by singer-guitarist John Kimbrough, drummer Joey Wanaker, and bassist Candice Belanoff. Now, this this band actually has some interesting lineage. Uh, Joey Wanaker, of course, is now a kind of a famous drummer. He's played with Beck and a lot of other people. But he's the son of record producer and executive Lenny Wanaker and the brother of Anna Wanaker of That Dog. And John Kimbrough is the son of Charles Kimbrough, who was on the TV show Murphy Brown. So this was almost a um, super group of uh, famous kids. I don't think that helped them, considering neither of us had listened to them or were not familiar with them. So that didn't pan out. Well, I'm sure it wasn't a and they're planned f- thing, but... They're from Minnesota. Well, that's where they went. That's where they met. They were in college together, in Saint okay. Paul at a Saint Paul college. Their first release was in 1990. It's a self-recorded four-track demo called "Listen, Little Man." Uh, the following year, 1991, also self-released, the full-length album "The Pole Riders Win Again." They signed to Caroline, and in 1992, they released the album that we're going to review, "Miss Happiness." A year later, 1993, Bareback Ride was released. Their fourth release, third album. It was at that point that the band left Caroline and signed a six-album deal with Columbia. However, before they actually released an album on Columbia... Six-album deal? Yes. Oh, my God. Six albums. Remember, it was the 90s, dude. 1993. Wow. Well, 94, I guess, because they released the album in 93, so it was probably by 94. So get this, Joey Wanaker leaves the band 
The drummer leaves, and he's replaced by Orestes Morphin. Uh, Columbia listens to the first album. Apparently, this wasn't a really good contract because they didn't like the album, and they said, forget it, tore up the contract, and released the band. Hmm. It was at that point the band signed to Atlantic, and they released their first album on Atlantic in 1996 called El Producto. On the first day of their tour for the album... Their A&R rep was fired, and they were soon dropped by Atlantic. Drummer Arrestus Morphin left the band, and John Kimbrough and Candice Belenoff continued to play as an acoustic duo for the remainder of the year. In 1997, they released the album Colossus on Deep Elm Records. They... Brought in uh, Zach Danzinger on drums for a brief tour, and he ended up playing with the band on their last release, which was a live album of their last show that they played in 1998 at the Mercury Lounge. And that is the history of Walt Mink. Brought to you by us, but if you would like to sponsor the history of the band and this podcast, feel free to send a donation via our PayPal link on the website digmeoutpodcast.com or buy a t-shirt and we will make you our sponsor. You have to let us know you bought a t-shirt because we don't know necessarily who bought them. They don't tell us the name. They just tell us we made $2 from our t-shirt sale. (laughs) So this band was very productive. Yeah, they put out a lot of material. Going through the discography, they really only uh, missed 1995 was the only year... Like 94, 95 were the two years they didn't release an album between 90 and 98. So, and they were busy they were, getting signed and dropped by two labels. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. I thought this was like maybe a one album band. Nope. Interesting. Okay. So let's get into the album uh, Miss Happiness from 1992. Like we said at the beginning, neither of us were familiar with this band or album so jay let's start with i guess some general observations um before we get into this i want to throw this out there when i was listening to this record it reminded me a lot of the alcohol funny car album that we reviewed last year in that it sounded like the 90s to me Mm. do you know what i'm saying by that statement um sure just in that, I if I when I heard this record, I go totally in the, from the '90s. Like it doesn't sound like it could have been a '80s band from the production. It doesn't sound like it's from the last ten years. Like it, it just has a very '90s feel, and I think it's the combination of his vocal and his guitar playing. It's John Kimbrough singing and playing guitar, mm-hmm. and elements of of you know '90s hard rock combined with a little bit of power pop and a little bit of post-punk it's a little bit different Mm. because it's a trio and there weren't trios were not really big in the 90s you kind of went with the more traditional four and five piece bands for the most part i think green day was probably the most successful trio or maybe the goo goo dolls but they tend to be in the you know power pop and punk vein yeah yeah what was your overall impression of this happiness well it did remind me also of another album that we reviewed, but it was a different album. It was uh, Sons of Elvis. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, so there's very competent guitar player here. Um, 
sounds like somebody who was sort of schooled in 80s hard rock, but maybe in the 90s decided to, you know, explore some other things, maybe Jane's Addiction or just some other influences. In terms of songs, like, it just doesn't work for me. Like, I don't get it. I don't get the... They're not a jam band. They're not progressive. They're not... You know, musically, it's... there's some interesting things going on, but it's sort of packaged up, I guess, from a production standpoint and from, a, I guess, overall presentation, it's packaged up like a pop kind of pop rock or alternative rock, but, you know, needing needing pop element. And there's just no, there's no hook, there's no choruses, there's no hooks, there's no, you know, the vocals are very strange. They're nasally. Yeah, like I didn't get the vocal. Like it almost seemed like it was a joke at times, or he was trying to be funny or something. It was it was very odd in terms of the vocal. It's very nasally, yeah, like you said. It's kind of high pitched, and um, it's almost like somebody like making fun of Getty Lee or something. <laughs> it was, it, I, I just I didn't get it on a lot of levels. Um, That's weird. I I thought you would appreciate the guitar playing because I think the one. I did. I, I mean, well, I, just as a guitar album, I, I sort of got into it that way. Because a lot of the, I would describe this, as far as a three-piece goes, they kind of have, his guitar playing reminds me of Clapton and Cream. It's like thick, and it's, there's bluesy elements to it, but he's got the energy mm-hmm. of like D. Boone in the Minuteman. Like, it's got a punk feel to some of it. And... That to me is really unique, and that's the thing that I, I agree with you that there are not the hooks on these songs for a band that's kind of trying to be poppy. I almost feel like they're outsmarting the song so sometimes, like yeah, yeah, they don't get to the chorus until like three minutes into the song, or there's just not much of. A, I think part of it is hurt by the fact that there's not much going on melodically, yeah, or lyrically. One yeah. of the one of the songs that I, I thought that did have a good. Uh, chorus, which is one of the slower songs in the record, is um, song seven, Smoothing the Ride. It's more mid-tempo, but it has this, uh, he sings Rock This Down, which I don't know what that means exactly in the chorus, but there's it's actually something that I remembered from from the record, whereas most of the times I remembered like a riff here or there, but I didn't remember anything that was going on with the vocals. And he gets very Perry Farrell. Yeah, but Perry Farrell almost like scatting like at some points. Almost... Yeah. Yeah, there's a one song in there that's very jazzy, and he, I think, does a scat, and it, it hurts me. It yeah. hurts my soul deeply. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a kind of like riff rock, I guess you could describe it, in terms of 
I appreciate the riffs, but at the end of the day, the songs are just composed of different riffs put together and not really, you know, from more of a, uh, a songwriter perspective, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's just parts that are in the same key that they just kind of jam together and it's all guitar based and, you know, the guitars, there, there's no dynamics in terms of like the guitar doesn't kind of back out, let the bass do something and get out of the way of the vocal it's like guitar riff all the time from start to finish you know with a weird vocal over top and i'm and i'm desperately trying to find a hook um the i guess the you sort of said there's a there's a punk attitude or something about the way he plays guitar i, I was sort of equating it to there were moments where i th- thought it was going to go into either one of two directions that i would have liked better one would be more of a chavez kind of direction mm-hmm. you know sort of a uh, a crunchy thick guitar sound but and, and and riff based but a little bit on the edge you know a little bit more experimental or you know sort of dissonant at times or you know pushing the boundaries a little bit or like what we heard with luster or you know one of our early episodes there's some times where he does some more open chord type things um that are less busy that i kind of like and just the guitar tone when he when he plays those style songs were reminded me of Luster, but Luster had you know really good vocals and really good you know songwriting and hooks, and uh, this album's lacking that for me. So I'm sort of just left with a grab bag of guitar riffs, I guess. You know. Well, the one one band that guitar wise that came up while I was listening to this was Pride Tiger. In, in the sense of that bluesy, hard rock sound, a Pride Tiger yeah. is is pulling from like a very Thin Lizzy, or Tin Lizzy, sure. how you pronounce it, um, school of seventies hard rock. Walt Mink doesn't really get there. Kimbro doesn't get there exactly, but he definitely has. I mean, there are some like on Chowdertown track two, there are some nice mm-hmm. heavy guitar riffs on that song. Unfortunately, like you said, there's oh, not yeah. much of a vocal going on that like brings it mm-hmm. all together. Because and it, you know, on the, on the Pride Tiger record, that guy, he knows what he's doing with his vocal, and he knows how to double track it and mm-hmm. make it sound different from song to song. And I guess 
that's that's the knock i guess on this whole record is that the even though it's a short record it's like a half hour long it's 10 songs i think eight of the 10 songs are sub four minutes which is pretty amazing for the 90s there's one song that's four and one song that's five so it's definitely the possibility of being a pop record in the in the power pop vein but they just if you're going to do a power pop record you got to have the vocal there you got to have the hook oh yeah you got to strip it down too and really kind of let the guitar get out of the way when it needs to get out of the way uh, you know it's strange for me to say this this is probably one of the few albums we've listened to that i can say this about but some of the best moments for me are when they're just jamming and uh, yeah. I think both you, both you and I have been very critical of bands doing that um, and too indulgently. But you know, there's a couple of songs in this record where they let loose for the last minute or so, minute and a half, and just kind of just jam, and that's when they sound the best. I think that's when it kind of, um, you know, the, the the talents they have and their strengths really come forward when they when they do that. Because obviously, you know, we got. A uh, really talented guitar player. We've talked about that. There's a really good, talented uh, drummer here mm-hmm. who's gone on to do other things. Um, the bass player, I don't love what he's doing all the time, but he's she. definitely, you know, she definitely talented. You know, but there's right. nothing wrong with the playing in terms of uh, skill. Um, I think it's overly busy. And, you know, as a three piece, it works out pretty well. There's, it definitely sounds full. You know, it doesn't sound thin, which I think, um, you know, earlier I mentioned Sons of Elvis. I think that was one of their problems is that they just sounded thin. But, uh, right. you know, when they just jam, it sounds the best. It's sort of they, I don't know, maybe later on they, they obviously did a lot more albums after this. They kind of figured out what the which way they were going to go, whether it was going to be more of a pop um, sort of direction or if they were going to be just more of a, you know, musician's band and just yeah. let things jam out a little bit more. I'm curious to hear those records because I want to know, did they refine this? Did he become a better, essentially a better songwriter? You know, music is half the equation. You have to write the lyrics and the melody have to be on par with the quality of the, of the music, which is fine here. Uh, What was what did you think of their cover of Nick Drake's pink moon? Musically? I thought it was one of the best songs on that record. I wasn't familiar with the original, to be honest, but I did. You uh, might be highlighted as well. You might be because it was right. in a Volkswagen ad. Oh, really? Yeah, like like seven or eight years ago. That's when it sort of like the whole Nick Drake revival started because Volkswagen used him in an ad and it like revived like his career. Well, I mean, he's been dead for a long time, but people started buying his records again. And he was one of those guys that like, because they used him in an ad, all of a sudden he was cool again. Yeah, it's kind of disconcerting when the most successful song on the record is the cover. Yeah, it was probably my favorite song on the record. I didn't love the chorus, but uh, just the, the, the lyric I, I thought was strange. I didn't quite get it, but uh, besides the point, I mean, it was definitely the most uh, well-conceived, I guess. You know, it sort of has an intro and it's mm-hmm. some different it, the, the riffs of the song. It's, you know, and it's got some melodic elements to it. They kind of get out of the way of each other. And I thought it was, it was one to sit out for me for sure.
but like I said, it's not good when the <laughs> when the cover is the best song. No, because then you're in like what was that band that covered Blue Monday? Was it um Orgy? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever heard from them again. So this came out in ninety two? Yep. Ninety two. Wow. I know it sounds more mid nineties. Yeah, it really does. I, I would have guessed this was a mid to late nineties record. Um so that that's that's pretty interesting. I mean uh, it's almost uh it's almost as though that if it had come out earlier, that maybe it would have been better or it had it come out way later it would have been better. I, I just think this was a maybe a difficult time for a band like this to try to figure out this is about the time when you know nirvana is just huge right well yeah 92 huge is when pearl gem and nirvana were breaking so i'm trying to imagine this next to that just in terms of the musicianship and the you know from a heart from a guitar standpoint this if you just listen to these guitar tracks and I told you that it was Nuno Betancourt from Extreme, you would probably be like, oh, yeah, that's how it makes sense. <laughs> like, add some wah-wah guitar. Add a wah-wah pedal in there every now and then. You'd be like, in, a, in some solos. Like, oh, yeah, I could totally see that. But the riffs are very much in that vein. Uh, they're not very far off that. They're certainly not Kurt Cobain or, you know, or Allison Chains or anything like that. So, And, you know... The, the talent is there, and we're both. I think we're both recognizing that. And it's clear that these guys are talented because Wanaker, as we mentioned, went on to be a huge, uh, you know, sessions drummer and playing with a lot of people. And John Kimbrough has gone on to be a member, not a member, but he's worked with, for example, on the last T- Tenacious D album, Rise of the Phoenix, that just came out. He's all oh. over it, playing all sorts of instruments. Um, mm. He's played with, uh, made, done music for various soundtracks he's uh worked on like the red soundtrack and vampire suck and some other ones and he's done engineering and composing on some other albums so the guys he's, he worked for blue man group so i mean the he guys won, he won an uh, academy awards 81st annual academy awards and 2009 emmy award outstanding music and lyrics wow so there's a ton of talent here is what we're saying it's just, i just don't think it coalesces in the way that we would like it to, which is odd because if you go to allmusic.com, which is what I use for a lot of research, this is their pick for the album that you should listen to for Walt Mink. Like they mm-hmm. give the, the, the editor's rating and they give you a, a check mark which album you should check out. This has four and a half out of five stars and it's got the check mark. The next closest is the 96 album El Producto. It's four out of five stars. Mm. So I don't know. We're going to pay, play clips. People it. are going to listen to this album and maybe we're completely <laughs> off. Yeah, I would love to hear other people's thoughts on this. I mean, obviously, they you know they existed for over eight years and put out a lot of music. So, you know, it connected with people. Um, they had a couple different deals. They got signed know, to so two major more, labels. Yeah, a six-record deal. That's insane. That's <laughs> how twice does, the How does Watershed get a, get, a, get a one-record deal? And they're all about writing pop songs and having a hit. And these guys who, you know, based on our opinion right now, is they could care less. Or we definitely were not, uh, you know, they were not going to be the next cheap trick. They get a six album deal? Like, what the hell? That yeah. is were crazy. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand at all. So let's wrap this up. I think we've expressed our feelings. As far as rating the album, Jay, were the album better EP, decent single? 
I have to go with decent single. I think it's the first album I've I've said that for since we've used this rating system. But mm. I, I I would struggle to come up with an EP here. I would go with EP. I think you can take smoothing the ride, uh, Pink Moon, and the first two songs I like. In terms of the, mm-hmm. they're the I think they're the best. And you got four songs, and that's an EP for me. Yeah. So. But I, and there, it's not that the rest is bad. I just it, the rest doesn't affect me. It doesn't stick with me. It doesn't make me want to listen yeah. to. It. it doesn't like make you angry or anything. It just sort no, of no. Like, it just meh. sort of washes over you. And it's it's unfortunate because I bet it's the kind of thing where I mean, I've been in this situation where I'm sure if you're playing that music and writing it, you think it's fantastic, and I'm sure it's a blast to play. Mm-hmm. It's just you can't really understand or have a perspective of, well, is this going to really connect with anybody? Is anybody going to get emotionally attached to this or moved by it? And that's a whole other different thing, you know? So it doesn't do anything like that for me. So, yeah. <clears throat> but obviously, I mean, this guy's at least the singer, well, two of the members have gone on and done a hell of a lot of stuff. So, yeah. That. They're probably better suited for than being in a power trio, honestly. Yeah, it does say something that neither of them, you know, Joey, Joey Wanaker went on and he left to play with Beck, but John Kimbrough didn't go on to do another band. I mean, he basically became a composer and a sideman and a... Yeah. yeah. So maybe he knew that songwriting wasn't his forte. I don't know. Right. I, I didn't ask him. Uh, in terms of who this is for today, I, I kind of, I couldn't bring anything. I couldn't think of anything. I mean, I brought up Pride Tiger, and they were around like five years ago. That was it. I was, I was stumped. I don't know. I could see like for people who are really into Jane's addiction, maybe getting into this. Yeah. Um, it does have some of that like whack, 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 you know, that sort of like hard rock punk thing going on sometimes. That's why you did that at the and, beginning uh, of the, the episode. Was there, they were yeah, foreshadowing. Speaking code, um, gotcha. and the vocal, like you said, uh, there's a weird similarity there. So I, I guess if you're a huge James Addiction fan, you might get into this. It's kind of like a jam band that doesn't really jam. <laughs> well, they keep their jamming to under four minutes, right? <laughs> so I, it's the first time I ever I ever wished a band would jam more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going in the lead. Screw the songs. Just jam out. Just jam, man. Come on. Stretch Sports it out. Space. 11 minutes. Let's go. All right. We have covered Walt Mink and their 1992 album, Miss Happiness. Dane, thanks for suggesting this. It did allow us to fill a, you know, a, a little hole that we had in our musical lineage from the 90s. And I am curious to check out some of their other stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that at some point. Maybe not tonight. Possibly next week. Who knows? And this show, this show preview got some likes. So I mean, there's some people out there to like it. So yeah, if we're, if we're crazy, tell us why we're crazy. Yeah, please do. Hear, so. uh, you can leave us feedback on the Facebook page. We already have a we have the preview uh, for this episode, and we also have the uh, link for this episode that'll be going up when this when this episode goes up. We also want to mention that if you agree with us and you like what you heard feel free to leave us some positive feedback over at itunes drop us a few positive uh words 
Give us some stars. We'd appreciate it. And we want to remind people that you can submit, just like Dane, your suggestions. You can post them on our Facebook page. You can post them to Twitter. You can shoot us an email at digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. We are still taking suggestions. We just took the page down from the website because it was getting ridiculously uh, out of control. We had so many suggestions. So we're going to get through quite a bit of these in the summer and fall. I think we've got like at least 10 listener suggestions we're going to bang out. So don't worry. They're coming. I know you've been waiting with bated breath, everybody. (laughs) I love these. I think these are the most fun for me. Yeah. All right, Jay. Thank you for joining. Always a pleasure. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. So-